Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. Formation of the fixated. So what it means to be formed uh, into a posture of lis- receiving, listening, and doing. And so if you've been here before, you know kind of our, our words that we really stand on is depth, discipline, sacrifice, and sustainability in the spirit that lead us to a lifestyle of discipline holistically, which is what we're going to talk about in January, that helps us understand sacrifice and why we sacrifice and how we should sacrifice unto a life of sustainability in which we can walk with him all the days of who we are. So that's kind of been the focus. And to me, this has been a message I've been thinking on for a while as it pertains to uh, the formation of the fixated and and really all of these the last few weeks you can listen we have a podcast audio is a little rough it's fine we're really perfect here <laughs> we have so many stage lights <laughs> and a huge led screen anyway it's a joke it's a joke sign holders um i know three people in here got that <laughs> But I want to talk about something, and I'm calling it the steadfast standard. The steadfast standard. And the reason I'm, I'm talking about through this today um, is I think that a lot of us, we go through identity crisis as believers and followers of Christ when we're faced with adversity we didn't foresee coming. And what you don't know is in the Old Testament specifically, steadfast is a word that shows up everywhere. And what I mean by that is I actually kind of did a a concordance study and what I found is steadfast in the Old Testament, variations of the word are found 97 times steadfast, but the word steadfast love is actually found 137 times. So over 200 times in the Old Testament, you see that, and and the Old Testament is a longer period of time than the New Testament. So you see for steadfast, 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 steadfast love. Steadfast, be steadfast in me. Follow me steadfastly. And I want to break down in the Hebrew what it actually means. And that steadfast is the, uh, the Hebrew word emuna. And its meaning is firmness, steadiness, and fealty. Now, if you break down fealty, it actually says faithfulness to a person, a cause, a belief, and support. So essentially when we talk about the steadfast standard, what we're talking about is a standard in way of living in which there is a, there is a rock solid disposition that does not change. Now, how many of you guys know, man, that is like, okay, God, I want the rock solid disposition that does not change. But at the same time, we also live in 2022, almost 2023, at least it's not 2020. (laughs) We literally record giving me strong COVID vibes and I'm hating every moment. Anyway, like sat in front of a camera for like a year and it was brutal. Uh, shout out influencers, Noah. <laughs> He's like, I live in front of a camera and I don't even care. <laughs> so anyway, let me keep Okay. Psalms 57, Psalms 57. Listen to this. 
And I think this is a very accurate portrayal. <laughs> oh, I think this is a very accurate portrayal of how life feels sometimes. And I'm going to say this, and, and I, don't want to, I don't want to trigger uh, anything, so I'm prefacing this statement. But David, and what you see in Psalms is there's tons of chapters where, and for lack of a better term, David has like these bipolar like within like one line of each other. And how many of us can identify with that, right? But let me read this because I think this is where it's interesting. And I'm going to point out the switches here, right? Psalms 57, 5 through verse 7 in the context of steadfastness, it says this. My soul is among lions. I must lie among them who devour. Among sons of mankind whose teeth are spears and arrows. And their tongue sharp as a sword. Verse 5, switch. Here we go. Be exalted above the heavens, God. Be above the earth. Verse 6. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. Selah. Verse 7. My heart is steadfast. God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing your praises. Now, I love this passage because it gives a very clear a very clear objective within what steadfastness is. It's not the glossing over or the lack of awareness of difficulty and suppression of it. If it is crying out to God, God, I feel like all my friends are swords and arrows. I feel like the people around me are laying a net. So there's an awareness of the difficulty, but there's a spine, a steel in the spine of how he responds to it. I'll be steadfast. I'll be steadfast. And what we're talking about within formation of the fixated and that standard of steadfastness is for a lot of us, I think that difficulty is, is designed to strengthen the disposition of who we are. And I was going to shout him out later, but I'm going to shout him out now. I have a friend in the front row who is with me. And for many of you guys who don't know our story, me and my wife moved here from Michigan um, and when we moved here from Michigan, we left a church behind. We were supposed to take over, and, and me and Jack had become really close, me, his wife, and his kids. And when we told him the story of us, he wrote us a check for $20,000 the day we shared our dreams with him, right? So I'll tell you this, generosity standard, Jack, you've carried it, and, God's gonna, and God has honored that in you. But I, I want to say we were talking about it because here's the deal. He's also involved in the economy. And if you didn't know, the economy's not doing as well right now. But there's something about certain people who when the pressure is built, the diamond. And I believe the steadfast standard is the recognition of there is pressure in this life. What is it forming in you? Because for a lot of us, we're hyper aware of that steadfast standard. I saw that be real, Kevin. <laughs> Wasn't even subtle. Wasn't even subtle. But there's, for a lot of us, we're back, we're back. For a lot of us, there's a standard of us being steadfast as long as the circumstances dictate that it's easy to stand. But what I want to talk about is a story of somebody who had all the ingredients of being able to stand, yet over time, 
They doubted and didn't. And in Scripture, it might be somebody who surprises you, but it also might surprise you to see what Jesus did. But before we do, I always tell a personal story to really drive it home, and this one's quite embarrassing. And by embarrassing, I mean this is my... I don't normally talk about my high school athletic days because uh, usually uh, 20-year-old dudes talk about it enough for the entire world. (laughs) Some guys in here are like... Yeah, so like I scored 24 in like three minutes. <laughs> but I, I remember I was, uh, when I was in high school my junior year, I, the only sport I played growing up was football. And I was a defensive back. In my junior year, I had a decent amount of interceptions. And we were a really good team. And I remember my junior year, I had, I had a, a game and they had a really good receiver. And I had done good every game of that, every game that year. I had not had one bad game. I was feeling good. And I remember watching film, and they're like, oh, this guy's 6'5". And I was like, I don't care. I'm 5'10". And I'm 145 pounds. <laughs> they're like, yeah, this guy's like 6'5", 210. I'm like, and? <laughs> like, I'm half a size. I'll lock him down. So I remember we go and we're like, we're like getting ready to play them. And once again, my coach is like, oh, Mike has got this. All my teammates are like, they're undefeated. And I've had five interceptions that year. I mean, I'm like, feel like I'm going to lock this dude down. And I remember the first play of the game, I'm like, I'm just not even going to let him get off the line, right? And I remember I press him, get right in his face, and he runs a go route. First play of the game. And I am in his pocket. The ball's in the air. I see it and I'm like, wow, I'm about to have number six. Guess who caught it? Not me. So the first off, maybe jump into it. Second play of the game. Go route. Jump. Touchdown. Okay. Not one touchdown. Not two touchdowns. Not three touchdowns. Four touchdowns. I got burned four times that day. You know, it's funny, and we lost by like, we lost by a lot. I think we lost like 49, but I gave up like 28 of them. (laughs) We lost by a lot. But what's funny is this, is I'll never forget my coach. And I actually, it's funny because later on, um, he ended up coming to to our church in Michigan, and they still go to this day, uh, the coach who told me this. He pulled me aside, and I had just been destroyed that day. And he pulled me aside, and this is about the third quarter, and we're down by a lot. And he said, Mike, I'm going to pull you out for the game. And I like looked at him and my competitors like, are you serious? Like, dude, what? I'm like, I'm the, de- I'm the one who locks down. And he's like, well, the game's over. And he said, what's more important is you being ready. Deal with this right now, but then get it out and be ready for the next week. And I'll never forget that lesson because I, that was the worst game I'd ever had in my life. And what's hilarious is like my entire youth group came the one week I was there. Like, Mike is so good. Just kidding. This guy's cheats. Uh, but I'm like... Some people got the delayed laugh there. It's all right. But I'll never forget what my coach did is he pulled me aside and he said, listen, deal with this right now, but be, be ready. Frame steadfastness around this morning is some of us have been in seasons where there's been loss and seasons in which we didn't understand and seasons of which we're, we're still filtering and processing and trying to get through. And God is a God who wants you to do that, but he also wants to look at you and say, all right, Process, go through this healthily, but I'm counting on you tomorrow. And I'm counting on you next week. 
and I'm counting on you, Tanya, community. And I'm counting on you. Yes, you maybe had a bad day and the enemy maybe got his got ahead of you once, but that has not defined you. It's not defining you. So what I want to do is I want to read a quick uh, passage of scripture and by quick, it's 10 verses. So you guys will be okay. Luke 7, 18 through 28 says this. The disciples of John also reported to him about all these things. Now, here's what you need to understand. In Luke 7, what's happened is right before this passage of Scripture, Jesus has walked into a funeral procession that's walking down the street, stopped everybody, put his hand on the coffin, and raised a dead guy to life. So what, he say, what essentially is going on is John's disciples are going back to him and they're like, Hey, remember that dude you baptized? Yeah, he's like raising people from the dead. Like blind eyes, lepers, all this stuff. He's doing it, right? So let's keep reading because I need you to understand as we get into the meat of this passage what's going on. The disciples of John also reported to him about these things. And after summoning two of these disciples, John sent them to the Lord. Or are we to look for another? Hold on. Remember what I just said in the beginning? His disciples, this directly before this passage in Luke 7, I believe it's uh, 14 through verse 17. It's Jesus healing and raising a dead man to life. John's disciples going and reporting to him what he's doing. And this is what John does with that report. Hey, will you go ask him if he's actually the Messiah? As John baptized Jesus, but if you remember, it says the heavens have opened, a dove descends, and there's a voice from heaven saying, this is who I'm well pleased. Jesus has raised people from the dead, healed the blind, healed lepers, and here's John sending a message. Hey, can you ask if he's actually the one? The reason he's asking that is because John, John's in prison. And he hasn't been in prison for a short amount of time. He's been in prison for a while. And it's not looking good. And what you actually find out later is that John is that the Herod, the king at the time, beheaded from prison. So John is baptizing and had all of these flocks of people. And he's the guy before Jesus. Then Jesus shows up. He starts doing all these miracles, all these things. And John gets thrown in jail. And John's left in jail while... Jesus is doing miracles. Why can't one of those miracles be open up these prison bars? See, I think that's even how a lot of us, whether we want to admit it or not, think. We look at the things God does and we're happy, but really we're sad. God, if you can do that, why can't you do this? God, you did this for them. Why can't you do this for me? And I want to challenge you within that steadfast standard because that is a thought as a believer that has an expiration date. And what I mean by that is if you continue to percolate those thoughts, it won't be long before you're not really following Jesus. You're just following whatever's going on in life. So let's keep reading. It says this. John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the coming one or are we supposed to look for another? At that very time, he had cured many. I love this. It's like Luke's including this. Jesus doesn't say this till a little later, but Luke includes this. Hey, at that very time, he had cured many people of diseases, afflictions, cast out evil spirit, and gave sight to many who were blind. Verse 22, Luke's like, I'll defend you, Jesus. 
And he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. People who were blind receiving sight, people who were deaf here, dead people raised, and people who are poor have had the gospel preached to them. And blessed is the one who does not take offense at me. What this means, blessed is the one who doesn't look at the good that's happening in everybody else and get offended that it's not happening to them. See, the steadfast standard is when good things happen, we're happy. Oh, for others, we cheer for them. Let's keep reading. When the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? This is Jesus' response to John. He's been questioned in front of his disciples about his authority by, in that day and time, the most godly man outside of Jesus on the face of the earth. Has asked about, is this the one? And this is Jesus' response to that doubt and unbelief. He says this. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go to see? A prophet? Yes. Isn't it interesting that that prophet just questioned if he's the Messiah and he looks at the prophet and reminds that he is. See, in your questioning, I think a lot of the times... You're questioning God and saying, I know you, my child. I know what you feel. I know what you're going through. I know the depths of the pain that you have. And I'm with you. Even if the prison door isn't opened, I feel you in the prison. Let's keep reading. It says this. But what did you go out to see a prophet? Yes, I tell you that. I tell you, and one who, behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. The one who is least, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Listen to that. Among those born of women, John is the greatest. John's a great man. He's a prophet. Yes, he doubted me, but he's not actually doubting me. It's his circumstances are tainting his faith. Circumstances arise, our faith isn't tainted. And that doesn't mean that we don't process. That doesn't mean that we don't seek help. That doesn't mean that we don't pour out our hearts. That means that like Psalms 57, God, they have arrows and swords and their teeth are sharpened and nets have been laid. But I'll be steadfast. Listen to this. This is where it gets interesting from a commentary that I really like. If you're, if you're into commentaries, too, that I use here a lot is Robert Alter's Old Testament Hebrew commentary. And then there's another one called The Bible Speaks Today. If you really want to get deep, you can talk to me about it later. I'm nerding out. Um, this commentary actually says that when, that when Jesus gives the response, he's actually not just giving a response of, hey, this is what's happening. People are being, people, the deaf are hearing, the eyes are open, the lepers are healed. He's actually reciting back to him Isaiah. He's essentially giving John's disciples Isaiah and saying, listen, go tell John this passage. 
And if you know anything about John as a prophet, he has studied in Grain Testament, especially Isaiah. Isaiah and Jeremiah, the two most famous prophet books that people lived through at that time. Now listen to what that passage is. Isaiah 35, 5-6, it says this, Then the eyes of those who are blind will be opened, the ears of those, of those who are deaf will be unstopped, those who, will, who limp will leap like deer, and the tongues of those who cannot speak will shout for joy, for waters will both burst forth in the wilderness. Wilderness and streams in the desert. So Jesus who lines, and then John can kind of fill in, oh, he's quoting Isaiah. Now we're going to get real nitty gritty nerdy here for a second, because what you maybe don't know, I read Isaiah 35, 5 to 6, where Jesus says, hey, the, the ears are open, the eyes are open, the lame are walking, the mute are speaking. But in the passages before that response, it says this. Strengthen the exhausted and make the feeble strong. Say, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance. The retribution of God will come. This in the most easiest way for you to understand. He responds to John's messengers, quoting Isaiah. And the specific passage that he quotes of Isaiah, John has to know that right before then is a rock passage for getting through tough times. It's probably a passage he'd said in prison or he dwelled on in the past, but that passage of scripture, don't be anxious, be strong. I'll avenge you. I'm with you. Think about that, right? Not only does he give him a passage that in the context he's going to know and ultimately God's going to confirm, hey, I'm with you, I see you and I love you. But we also know that Jesus doesn't just reaffirm him, but he reaffirms him in front of everybody else. He's a prophet, and he's one of the greatest men ever born of a woman. See, this is what you have to understand with Jesus as it becomes to steadfast in you. He will reaffirm your heart. You're going to live. And that's what's sad today is we've let circumstances dictate our spirituality more than we've let our disciplines, our habits, and our lives do it. And what I mean by that is being formed in the image of Christ, being rooted in prayer, being rooted in a sanctuary, being rooted in scripture, being rooted in community, being rooted in generosity, being rooted. These things are not just things where it's like, oh, that's a really cool cosmic idea. And even when the doors aren't open, you trust that he's there with you. So what I want to do is I want to give us just a couple quick things, how to raise the standard of your steadfastness. How do you raise the standard of your steadfastness? And the first one is this. If you have stress response behavior, make sure it's filtered through God. Always filter present circumstance through past provision. I'm going to tell you this right now. We are having growing pains, if you couldn't tell, here at Fixate. And what I mean by that is, we, we had the idea in our mind of, okay, God, this is what we think you're going to do in three years. And then God's like, give me three weeks or three minutes. <laughs> Literally, that's what it feels like. But what's funny is, is I'm facing problems because of provision. And I want to say this to you. I believe a lot of us, we're looking at the problems we're facing and not the provision that he's got us through. Not what he's provided before 
and doubting that he'll provide it again. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just so sad to me that we live in one of the wealthiest, most affluent countries in all of the world, and we doubt that God can provide. And I would even say this to you as somebody who, who follows Jesus. I'm keenly aware of my stress response behavior because me and my wife talk about it. First one is traffic. <laughs> and I'm going to need an exorcist for that one. <laughs> but the second, this myself, is the little things that I can control in my life because everything seems so out of control. The little things that I can control when they're out of control get a borderline demon where I'm angry. I can fly off the rail quick because this should be in my control. My TV's not working. I'm going to break it. (laughs) Shirt, I'm going to burn this thing. I should be there in 26 minutes. Traffic is making me be there in 33 minutes. I'm going to slash tires. And what it is, what it is, is it's those, what's funny is, is me and my wife, if you didn't know this, we moved here a little over a year ago knowing two people. And what's funny is, is I've always trusted God things that he's like, hey, you need to learn to let these things roll off. You need to learn how to deal with these things. You need to learn to not let your anger just bubble up out of the surface like the magma coming from a volcano and assess why that's happening. See, a lot, and what's funny is, is when I think about my life where I thought I'd be right now versus where I thought I'd be a year ago, provision has been everywhere. But it's so easy to focus on the problems instead of recognize the provision that he's had in your life. And I want to challenge all of us today to make sure that we're filtering what had happened, what's happened in our life. See, John, think about it. If he would have filtered the experience he was going through with what God had done for him, he baptized him. Heaven's open. God's literal words. This is my son. It's like a couple months later or maybe a year later, he's going to be like, hey, are you the son that the, the cloud said you were? I mean, his, his disciples, hey, Jesus just raised a dead guy, like stopped a funeral procession, raised him back to life. Hey, can you ask him if he's really the guy? I mean, think of what he was feeling. And man, that's the toughest thing as believers. Is if we look at what we've seen and what God's gotten us through, rather than what we're feeling, we might find that there's a strength there. There's a comfort there. Oh, God, you've, you've done it before. I trust you'll do it again. The second thing, the enemy will try to get you to believe at some point in your life, God does not love you, and he does not see you. And I need you to get this last part. Prepare for it. I, we would sit here and say, well, I do all the Christian activities. I do Christian stuff. I do... But I want to challenge you in the depths of that. How are you individually with no one around, with no distraction, preparing for the day when you're going to need to stand on your own? Remember what it said, Luke 7, 23, blessed is anyone who does not take offense at me. Think of that through the lens of the point, right? The enemy, right? Blessed is the one who does not get offended. You know where offense comes from? 
Is we get, when we get offended at God, it's mostly because he is confronting our control, personal ideology, or opinion of how he works and why he should work for us. And I would even take it a step further. For a lot of us, we've been offended at God because we've had a plan that maybe not has matched his plan. And we're arguing over if your plan is better than his. I'm telling you, it's not. And I want to challenge all of us this morning around this because I think that as I look at my life, I'm not preparing in good seasons. I'm preparing in good for when I face bad. In the Old Testament, Joseph in the Old Testament, ascends the kingdom of Egypt because he gets a dream of, hey, guess what? There's going to be famine and let's prepare. And because he prepared for the famine, he got promotion. See, a lot of us, we don't realize that the hard seasons and we don't want to, we don't even want to think about famine, talk about famine. And what I mean by famine is just tough seasons. We just want to block it out and focus on the good and hope everything goes great. And God's like, Please be preparing with me. So when your ideology or your theology or the, or the plan that you had ingrained in your mind, I'm going to do when that is confronted with the reality that it is not your control that dictates your life, it is mine, that you'll be able to stay steadfast. Prepare for it. And what you should be doing on your own. Imagine this, if every if every. A sermon I ever taught was just from being in environments like this. These sermons that I teach come from the preparedness of my life. And what's nice is you guys get the overflow because me and my wife have built in habit, rhythm, discipline, and structure of receiving to prepare. So when we get bad news, when things aren't going right, when, wow, we thought that was going to happen, or God so far exceeds our plan and now it feels way more out of control, God, I'm prepared to obey. I'm to not focus on pain, but to continue to trust and believe. Doesn't mean I don't process it. Doesn't mean that I don't go about it in a healthy manner, but it does mean that I don't doubt you. It does mean that I don't not trust you. It does mean that I don't walk away from you. See, that's what preparedness is for. We need an I won't quit mentality. And I would even say this. You have freedom to question. But take away your freedom to quit. You have freedom to question as John did. But don't take away. But take away that ability to walk away and quit. My last thought is this. Jesus will always stand for you. Even if you question if it's worth standing with him. Steadfastness is laying down the questions we feel like we must have anything that really happens. Is we go through a season of just euphoria spiritually. And then we have deep seated questions that we have time frames attached to. And God confronts the time frames. And we can't step out fully in obedience, trust, and submission to him until he answers everything we need him to answer to confirm that it's worth it. Sometimes it doesn't feel worth it. But I'll tell you this, looking back at my life, it's all deny and overlook and stuff down your feelings. But I am saying make sure your feelings have an ability to see aerially and not just what's right in front of you. You know, a few years ago, I was going through a real busy time. And it was a time actually that I'm super grateful for. I was working a ton at the church. I was trying to flip the 
I was flipping a house and doing all this stuff and traveling, and I was just getting just destroyed. And I remember this after a small group one night, I was driving a kid home. And as I was driving this kid home, he looked at me and he said, hey, do you mind if we stop somewhere? And I said, yeah, where do you want to stop? He said, can we stop at a Walgreens because I haven't had a toothbrush in two months. And I remember I said, absolutely. Let's get you a toothbrush. Let's get you some toothpaste. And this was a newer kid in our youth ministry years ago. And I stop and I get him toothbrush and toothpaste. Hey, do you mind if we go through a McDonald's drive through because I don't normally get dinner on weeknights. Absolutely, we'll go through a drive-thru. We go through a drive-thru. I drop him off. I remember I drive a mile away. I park my car and I start crying and I say, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I've overlooked your provision and blessing. That my circumstance and my situation has reframed the problems and the pain I'm feeling as this incredible weight that I'm not going to get off my back. Thank you for sending that to me because I'm grateful now. I got to buy him a toothbrush and some food. Because God, that's overwhelming. I'm sorry that I'm traveling to, to speak to all these places and have an incredible stable job and income and all th- Isn't it interesting what happens when God tries to get our attention, if our attention is on him, what he might do? And I want to challenge you today to be steadfast, but more than that, to stay steadfast in pursuing and trusting the blesser, even when it feels like life hasn't been a blessing. And you might find that one day you wake up and the pain isn't as sharp. He may have carried you through to the other side. Let's stand to our feet. I want to read this over you. You know, if you've been here, this is a habit we do here. So with nobody leaving or moving around, we write out a prayer that I just pray over every person who comes here. That's just the sermon encapsulated. And whatever your receptivity is, whether that's opening, you be here in this moment as I recite this prayer. God, would you help us to learn from John to avoid the moments of weakness in which he felt? Oh, would you train our hands and our hearts to be steadfast that when the seasons of what we feel like prison and persecution come, we don't doubt the one who is still on the throne, even in the midst of a fallen world. That when we feel locked out of happiness and feel trapped in a prison of bad circumstance after bad circumstance, we develop the steel in our spines to stand. Not to stand when it's easy, but to stand when it's hard. Not to stand when it's convenient, but to stand when it costs. Not to stand when everyone else is doing But even in the closet of our secret sin, we choose righteousness. Even in the pain of loss, we press into your spirit of strength. Retreat, how to re-engage. When we want to isolate, how to go deeper in life-giving community. When the last thing we want to do is worship, how to raise our hands once again. And when the Bible feels the furthest from the truth, to continue to pursue it in hopes of it changing our truth. Today, we take a new grip with our tired hands. We strengthen our weak knees. We mark out a straight path for our feet. 
so that the strong through the pain we've blazed, knowing both pain and loss and the joy of victory. Would you make a new standard in us today? One in which at the end of our days, we can with full confidence know we stay true and that we stay steadfast.